This is Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Liz Lunier. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. On this week's episode, we're discussing the future of data-driven marketing. With consumer demands constantly shifting and marketing technology rapidly changing, how can brands stay ahead of the curve in delivering their high-quality services directly to their customers? And what does this mean for the future of data-driven marketing? Joining me today to explore this are experts from here at Capgemini. Hi, I'm Jordan Fisher, Senior Manager of Frog, which is part of Capgemini Invent. And? Hi, I'm Bavish Radkap, Head of Brand and Marketing at Frog UK, part of Capgemini Invent. And from Unilever. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Brooks, and I'm a Senior Audience Development Manager at Unilever let's get right into it. It's true that now more than ever, we have access to so much information about consumers. And traditionally, we've been told that the more we know about our customers, better. But how much is too much? Bavash, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. So I think we've been through a few phases of brands wanting to just collect everything they can or everything that they think will be useful to them. I think the, the scrutiny that brands are now facing is that, are they able to use that data in a meaningful way to make decisions? Can they process it quickly enough? And I think that's brought new and fresh challenges around being really focused on what you need to know and why, and then build data strategies around that. In today's world, there's a lot of data out there and we know so much more about our customers than we ever did before. But how much is too much? Do you see, Michael, that you have too much data on your hands these days? So I think the answer is yes and no to that. So definitely the, the digitalization, the explosion uh, of data that we now get from connected devices, our mobile phones, and the multiple digital touch that our brands have on and interact with on our consumers on a daily basis have given a whole load of data for our marketers to try and get their heads around, whether that be individual data personally on a consumer or the aggregated data that we're now seeing in huge data sets. And to Bavesh's point, I do think that we've gone through those phases of where we've tried to collect lots of data to try and understand what we could do with it. And I actually think now's the time um, where we actually need to really focus on what is the high quality data and particularly be really clear on what's the objective and the purpose behind the data uh, that we're trying to collect. So when you say that, how are we able to make sense of this messy marketing middle for the data? So I think it's a really good question. So I always like to start with that object and purpose for which we're using the data. It's something that's sometimes called as purpose limitation. And I always like to ask myself, am I clear on my business objective? Am I clear on who the consumer is? that I'm trying to understand more information about or trying to get them to take action or exert a certain behavior. I also like to say, is the data that I'm collecting or looking to use, or the insight I'm looking to gain, can I act on it? If not, is there any point in actually collecting that in the first place? I think if we are start to ask those questions, we can then start to understand, actually, do I have the right data? And actually, if I don't, it should help me to be clearer about what the data is I need to go after. 
Jordan, how do you feel about all this? How do you think that we should be making sense of this marketing messy middle and what uh, Michael just mentioned? I think Michael's points are right. And I think the the messy middle is Google's definition of you know, the purchasing funnel no longer being linear and actually that consumers pop in and move in and out and around. And I think you know, the reality is that, that, that consumers do that for all products now across all values, whether you buy a, you know, a packet of biscuits or, or buying a car. The journey is not the top of a funnel going down and being able to move around that target people at the right points, at the right times, at moments that matter to them is, is what's important. And the way to do that is exactly as Michael said, through having the right campaign set up, having the right objectives for those campaigns, being clear on who you want to target, what kind of messaging you want to get across to them, et cetera, et cetera. Do you also feel that in today's society that a lot of the consumers actually have higher standards of what they expect from a personalized marketing campaign? Do they expect more personal marketing? What do you think, Bavesh? I think so. I think the most frustrating thing is when a brand asks you so many questions or wants to know so much about you. And in the modern day, we know that they know stuff about us. So then to send you information that's irrelevant is pretty frustrating, I find. I think the the days where it was accepted, I think is no longer accepted because you've got so much choice. The classic personal examples I can share is we sh we've been shopping with our online grocer now for about five years. They know we've never ordered any meat because we're all vegetarian, yet I might still get a meat offer through my comms, which is pretty frustrating. And I think furthermore, slightly linked to that is then the ability to communicate back with a brand is not always easy. So when they can email you about something, but you reply back and it's an email that's automated and you can't communicate to them. I don't think they have the right to send you one-way messages. I think that's also unacceptable. And I think the third point is, which again was maybe accepted a while ago, but won't be now is where brands have functionality limitations across their channels. So you can do something face-to-face, -face, but you can't do it online. You can do something on the website, but you can't do it on the mobile app. Again, I think those areas of experience need to improve. And the big challenge with brands is that as consumers, we have a very complicated journey. We might be triggered by something somebody says, and we might go to our social media, then we might go to TV, then we go to a website, then we go somewhere else. And brands' ability to trap that, make use of that with the thousands and thousands of customers that they're dealing with in the moment is very difficult. Because if you're emotionally engaged as a consumer, that's the moment for the brand to act. If you wait an hour, you've made a decision, you've made a purchase, or you've moved away from that moment. That's a very good point. It's important to find those moments that matter with those clients and to act on them. So do you think perhaps that maybe we're too focused on the outcomes and not on the customer journey, such as in the case here? What do you think, Michael? I think they go hand in hand. Customer experience, or whenever you're thinking about a customer outcome or marketing objective, really, you need to also be thinking about that consumer and customer experience. So yes, in certain ways, we, ha we have been too focused on the objective, not understanding enough the experience and what the consumer goes for in order to reach that objective of ours, be that purchasing a, a product or, or a service. I'd also like to raise the question actually to everyone in this room, as we were talking about the marketing middle and mix that actually, is there actually an argument to say that it is more important for some brands than others? So for example, does the automobile industry actually, should that care more about the consumer journey 
and what's happening within that messy marketing middle, as opposed to something like the consumer goods industry, where things like awareness and making sure the brand is front of mind and in front of them when they come to the shelf, are those perhaps the more important parts of the uh, consumer experience to, to focus on? There's also the, the risk of also offending certain clients too, like as a woman. I've had some interesting things marketed at me at different points. I've had larger size clothing marketed at me. I'm not a larger sized woman, but I've had larger size clothing marketed at me at different times where I've been quite offended in my shopping cycle. I've also had certain anti-aging products get end up in my mix at different points as well. And it's been very interesting to see how, how this has affected my personal opinion of some of those brands. But how do we currently understand how performance marketing is being used and what really is that? Jordan, can you give us some clarity here? Yes, yeah, so I think you need to start by the definition of performance marketing in this context. I think we're, we're talking about it in driving action and driving conversion. Yeah, to talk about a, a couple of examples um, that Mike was might touch on the automotive industry. You know, I used to work in the automotive industry, and I think the summation of the, the messy middle being long and drawn out and all over the place is very true. And obsessing over certain metrics definitely doesn't enhance consumer experience. Metrics that we've always focused on, like test drive requests, for instance, and, and, and optimizing only towards test drive requests and spending hundreds and hundreds of pounds of media against those when a small proportion of consumers actually take out those test drive requests and then an even smaller proportion of those test drive requests actually convert into a sale. I think understanding the best use of performance marketing, is it being appropriate and proportionate to one, the, the purchase, to the point in which the journey the consumer is and so if people later that, I mean, we've just said that the funnel isn't linear, but obviously if people, as they consume more information, as they've interacted with brands more and more, like Avesh said, this could be across multiple channels and touch points, and that's a difficult bit working out when and, when and where. But it's as long as it's proportionate to those stages, then I think that's how it should be used effectively to, to help brands drive growth. So that's very interesting. How do we know what kind of dominant triggers and nudges that we should be using? And how are these dominant nudges and triggers changing right now? So I think part of that question relies on, and particularly how they're changing, relies on actually understanding what data you've got available to you. So within different industries and definitely within the consumer goods industry, because we don't have that last touch point with the consumer where they're purchasing uh, a product. Typically, purchase data is held by retailers of the world, the Tesco's, Amazon, Walmart's and Carrefour's. It can make it hard. What is that uh, data point that you would optimize towards or, or finding that trigger point at which you would then look to either round off your engagement with a consumer or actually make sure that they're consumer experience was as per expectation. So obviously those triggers you can get again at all different levels. You can get aggregated ones, you can get ones that are individual consumers. We're seeing that things like location-based data can be very helpful when starting to decide around what uh, particular actions you might take to prompt that final purchase or that final action. But I think actually you have to start at looking what data is available and therefore what is most useful given your marketing objective to then optimize or work towards. One thing that's really impacting us these days is that privacy is becoming a bigger challenge within the marketing industry. Bavesh, 
How do you think privacy is changing what data we're being able to collect and how can we get the consumers to give us data? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Liz. I think the what, what I still find surprising is how difficult it sometimes is to opt out as a consumer. You, you have to go through pages and you don't even know if it's happened or not and then you get an email again. So I think that that isn't good enough. I also know for a fact that there's a number of brands that are not compliant. So there are laws around privacy, data collection, preempted opt-ins and preempted opt-outs that brands are not adhering to. And I think that's pretty unacceptable given how wise audiences are around that. I don't think the issue is with the consumer. I think the consumers historically have been very open about giving data, sharing data, sharing information, even when you get all of these cookie things that pop up in terms of accept cookie process and policy. People have no idea what they're signing up for, but you press accept cookie just to continue your journey. So all of that data is mounting up. The consumer's given it. I don't feel enough brands have delivered on the value exchange back to the consumer about what you promised them, the personalization that, that was going to be given, the, the respect of data, the respect of opting out, being able to quickly share what's collected about that consumer requested. So I think therefore there's a big gap between consumer trust and confidence and what the brands have delivered. Consumers are getting sharper and wiser to that. And I think brands need to really step up to make sure that they play the long game around trust, relevancy, and not go a step too far with automation and technology if they haven't got the ability to do, because that's where I feel like brands are failing at the moment. They are maybe going faster using automation without really knowing what, what content is being delivered to the consumer. Let's come back to the idea of how we're going to work with the consumers here. What should we be looking for from data and how should we be using it? Jordan, do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I, th I think it, we need to think about, um, you know, as data being oils useful, but not until it's refined and, and, and changed into petrol, much like sunlight is useful not until plants photosynthesize with it or you use solar panels to harness the, the power of it. And I think data is kind of the same in both of those inferences that it has potential that needs to be unlocked that is there, but it's not. Data isn't, doesn't mean anything necessarily. And being able to derive insights from that data to make decisions and informed decisions so that you can optimize campaigns, you can optimize channel mix, you can optimize creation, uh, creative, all, all these things you can do with the data based on the insights you've derived from them is where we should be focusing, not just on collecting loads of data and that being in proportionate to the ask. I think it was mentioned earlier that if, if you're collecting data, it needs to be relevant and legitimate to the interest of the campaign or what you're asking for. If you're running a campaign, to advertise a car and you're asking people if they have pets, are you going to do anything in that, with that data? If you're going to upsell them an after-sales product to sell them a boot liver, then fine. If you're just going to store it for four years and then throw it away, and, and actually to Bavesh's point, we use a lot of a lot of energy in processing that for all that time, then it's not proportionate in my mind and, and it's not useful. Michael, can you give me some examples of how you had to understand this messy middle when it comes to data-driven marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things that we've been thinking around Unilever is actually who are our most important consumers and customers and collecting data on just everybody uh, I think has been, as has been mentioned, is just not proportional 
to actually some of our marketing objectives and, and business objectives. So one way we thought about that is by being really clear on actually who is, are the consumer groups that we really want to speak to, go after and help change behaviors with for the good of the environment, the good of society, and to help drive a brand. We call them our super segments. It's a finite list of audiences, but it helps us to focus in actually what is the inf most important information that we want to know about these people in order to re reach, give the best consumer exper experiences and ensure uh, that our messages re that reach them in the right way at the right time with the right marketing. And that's just one way in which we make sure we're really clear on who it is we're going after. We have really clear objectives uh, and purposes for reaching out to those individuals and audience groups. And then everything flows from there. We can then focus our efforts, our resource behind only using the data that is relevant for those people. And do you think that this has really affected performance marketing and how has there been a shift maybe even in the demand channel? Yeah, I think it's something that's continuing to evolve. To be honest, the way you get there is a bit of experimentation as well. I don't think there's a, a, a magic formula that any single brand or marketer can go and follow to say, this is, this is the type of data we need to use, or this is the particular trigger we need to go after within performance marketing. You can absolutely find, and you can find that in the messy middle as well, but it requires some experimentation, right? It, it requires you to fail a few times, but I think what's in order to do that, as long as you're clear on the objective and the purpose, and I'll keep coming back to that. If you're clear on the objective and the purpose of what you're trying to do and who you're trying to do that against, you will then be able to then work out actually, is it, is it that little extra gift that you're giving in order to tip them over into purchase? Is it actually giving them that weekly reminder? Is it allowing them that bit of additional content around your brand and making them feel part of a community that they are the triggers to then tip them over to then be a, a law brand advocate? I think that you're bringing up some interesting points there about the different, those different moments that matter. How can we think differently about customer development in general or perhaps such as brand partnerships? Vivesh, do you want to give us some thoughts there? Yeah, of course. I think just following on from what, what, what Michael said, actually, which was a really good point. I think the, that there is, I, I find that brands focus too much on first touch. So we've got an objective, we've done some, um, segmentation work and we're really clear about who we want to target and why we want to target them. So there's a lot of energy and effort that goes into first contact, first touch. I don't feel brands then do enough work on following through post first touch or first contact, or they don't do it with necessarily more than just those, the bit on the first one. So I think there's definitely more work to be done there. I think brand partnerships is a really important point, Liz, you make, and I think it goes beyond brand partnerships into just more generic partnerships. If we think about some of the points Michael made earlier around the future of data and the future of intelligence that brands could have through things like the 5G network, through smart products, connectivity, that in itself will form a whole new range of potential partnerships. Take, we've spoken about automobile and, 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 and consumer goods. If my car is smart and connected and I've got my fridge connected to my car and I get a message around kind of products going low on availability. The fulfillment, 
of those products, the delivery of those products, everything is now done through new channels and new kind of touch points. So that if my milk did run out and I'm in the car and I'm notified, I've got options on how to fulfill that. I can pick up a bottle of milk on the way. I can have a bottle of milk delivered to me. I can have a bottle of milk delivered to my house. The ability to have partnerships with the car manufacturers, the 5G networks, even the smart product manufacturers, the home furnishing companies, that allows you to have an even more connected data ecosystem that allows you to have even more richer insights to be able to deliver even richer and better propositions. The caveat here though is brands need to, you know, fix the basics, get in place the, the enablement to allow you to do that effectively. Cause again, what you don't want to do is add even more data to your systems and processes, which might not be performing or delivering the value propositions that your consumers expect. And to build there, Vivesh, I think we also have to make sure that the consumer is also has that transparency and that proportionality on how their data is being used. And I think that's a key part of data partnership that we, we have to consider as well is actually does the consumer know what they're signing up to and are they getting that value from that exchange and are those partners who are sharing the data, making that transparent and easy for the consumer to either give permission, redact permission, or indeed manage what bits of their information they want then shared between those two. It's a great point, Michael, around kind of data ownership and further complexifying privacy. And I think even if we take it, Michael, another step further, think about the metaverse and avatars in the metaverse and, and advertising in a metaverse where you've got a many to many relationship, who owns the relationship, who's in charge of the privacy for that relationship, where's the ownership lie, where it's a data partnership. There is a lot of opportunity ahead of us, but brands need to make sure that they are set up to govern and manage that because it's going to get even more complicated to deliver it well. Jordan, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I, I agree with everything Babesh and Michael have said. I think the, the, the summary for me is that, you know, being transparent and keeping it simple is the key. We spoke earlier about having cookie pop-ups that, that people want to accept just to continue on their own way. And, and do they necessarily read them? I think brands that make a real clear point about what they're doing with the, the data how they want to use it and do that in a concise and easily digestible manner are the brands that win in this space because the transparency customers understand the, the their data better than ever and they want more from it more so than ever and we talked earlier about the expectations on if, if you're accepting personalization cookies you want something to be done with your experience to personalize it so being really clear and transparent on what data is being collected, why, and what you intend to do with it as a brand, whether it's on your brand website, whether it's for partnerships, like we've just discussed, it's the same across all of them, having a simple and transparent uh, approach. Michael, do you think marketers now rely on more first-party data, or does this present an opportunity for zero-party data to become more common? So I definitely think the way the industry is moving is towards that first party data world. And, and I actually have, have a point of view on actually isn't zero party data, just first party data done well. I, I look at it and go all the things that zero party data talks about, about putting 
uh, data of the consumer back in the consumer's hand. They control who gets their information. They can, who can see what parts of the information they want. They can update it when they need to, and they can decide who can use it and in, in what way for me is all things that we should be doing with our per first party anyway. And zero party data is potentially a buzzword that we're just using as an industry to try and rebrand us actually starting to do first party data really well. And I'd love to hear everyone else's perspectives on that. Or do they think they are distinct? I, I think they're distinct, Michael, because, and, and maybe they're not distinct. Maybe it's just our definitions of them. So let me, let me give you my definition of it. So for me, the key differences are first party is the data is the same. I think it's, it's more around the mechanic or, or kind of the, the means that it's collected in. So if a brand is asking a consumer for data and the data is pretty fixed or locked in terms of question answer, the consumer can give or not give that information. And by giving it, they sign up for something or they expect something. So the data can be the same. From a zero party perspective, it's more a, 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 a blanker page where the consumer can take the, the lead and be able to tell the brand what they're willing to share and what they're willing to tell them in return for, for an exchange. So I think the key difference is who starts the relationship and who, who leads on the relationship. The data could be the same. I think the reality is that the, the zero party concept will mean that more data is unstructured and it might be more conversational versus male, female, age, city. The challenge then, Liz, is how do brands translate, consume, digest, unlock the value of lots and lots of unstructured data? And that's why I feel like as a concept is great, but the ability to execute is super hard and super complicated. However, we're aware of a few brands running pilots in this space and they've managed to crack it and, and start seeing some value through it. What is the future of targeted advertising then? I think the future is going to change depending on which way you look at it. And I think there's definitely a, a shift towards more first party data usage and whether you call that approach first party or, or zero party. Like with both points, actually, that it, it almost depends on who's starting the relationship versus who's keeping a relationship and, and first party is grants reaching out or trying to acquire a specific data set. Whereas a, a zero party approach is a continuous strategy to, to nurture that. But I completely see Michael's points around, is it actually just first party executed because we talked earlier about retention and the number of touches on data, consumers data. And if you have the right retention strategy and the right kind of engagement model, I think the answer to your question is a really difficult one and the approach is, is not clear to, to really win in, in, in the area of data-driven marketing or, or real-time marketing or, or any of this kind of data marketing topic is you've got to have a bit of agility in your campaigns. You've got to have a bit of dexterity in what you do. And what I mean by that is, you know, testing and learning isn't a new concept, but it's something that the brands need to to do more and more. We spoke about deriving insights from data. I think that's really key. And I think, you know, Michael's points about talking about the purpose and the objective of campaigns is really important and, and making sure that, you know, you're learning from what you're doing. Things don't always go, that's okay. But learning from that, creating an insight from that and then employing that 
into your next brand campaign or, or your next channel mix or whatever to use using that that information to optimize what you're doing going forward is really key to the success of, of any brand's advertising in the future. Michael, how do you feel about this? How do you, do you think that we're chase the targets that we're chasing now are going to be irrelevant in the year or two? And how are you using this kind of test and learnment? So I get to one of Jordan's point, I think, yes, the goalposts are moving on this, but I think we will make lots of mistakes in this space whilst we test and learn. But I do truly believe it's only a mistake if we don't learn anything. And if as a marketer, you're learning that perhaps that wasn't the right metric or the right piece of data or the right consumer experience or the right advertising tactic to use, that's no bad thing. That will get you closer towards actually refining your strategy. I definitely think first party data is going to be a, a big play for many brand teams and marketers. One, not because we get to closer to our consumers and first party data and first party, I say done right, I should say, is the is I think here to stay. But I think we see loads of different other marketing tactics come out. So be that contextual targeting, cohort-based marketing, and indeed some of the older marketer marketing strategies making a bit more of a comeback. I think all of these is too hard to call as to what is going to be the right one. And, and, and probably the right answer will be a mix of these. But I think it's down to us as marketers to actually experiment and learn with them to find out which ones are, are best for our businesses, for our brands, because the reality is there probably isn't a one size fits all uh, answer to that question. Earlier in the conversation, we mentioned the automation and marketing and that there is the potential to have too much automation. Avesha, how do we bring back a human touch into the marketing? I think there needs to be almost a, a maturity that marketing functions need to go through because if you start automating before you've got the basics in place, then your automation, your automation will fail. And we've seen that. So I think it's going from the into being clear about your strategy, your objective, the data, therefore you need how that data will come together, how your people will be upskilled to be able to handle that information, to drive decision-making. And that needs a human touch. It can't, it can't all be automated. There are then definitely components that you can start automating and being really smart about how you manage workflows and, and, and processes. But as Michael says, there's no silver bullet, but working through a maturity curve is where I think brands can get to. I can give you some examples. We have bought the same automobile brand um, a few times over. They should know what we have. They should know when we buy, how often we replace, how many we have. But still, I know that their head office and their franchises are not connected in terms of me as a customer, because if they were, they would proactively be managing my next vehicle or my replacement vehicle or treating me like a VIP, knowing that we've had seven or eight from them. And that's an example of getting the basics right and building, building some pretty basic capability to, to be able to adhere to that. I think there's then examples of companies that are, 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 are data driven. They've got cross channels, cross segments. They've got it working pretty well, but they may be failing on speed of decision-making, the ability to process quick enough and going beyond first touch. I think that's where they need to focus on more kind of continuous touch point analysis, continuous touch point planning, looking at how they upskill some of those individuals around some of those scenarios. And then you've got more of the top end of the tree brands that are 
pretty sophisticated in data partnerships, know how to work with different brands and different partners to drive engagement. And they're now looking at how they push the boundaries even further into connectivity or multi-brand partnerships, even new channels to interact and touch point through looking at zero party data. But I think there needs to be that level of maturity curve that you need to go through to understand what needs to be in place before you do the next thing. Cause otherwise it fails if you try and be super clever without having the data or tech in place. I, I think what Avesh is describing to me is a journey. And in this case, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey and the destination is constantly evolving because that's the future. That's the new regulations. That's the new consumer expectations, all of those things, but actually identifying where you are on the journey and doing something about that, that's relevant and, and the, the right perspective to your business, to your consumers, to your products to the segment you want to go after as, as a brand is what's important and recognizing it as a journey. It's not a linear thing that, that we can just follow along step by step. That's not reality anymore. It's a never complete journey, but recognizing that you're on the journey of data-driven marketing, I think is, is key. And do you think that this is going to be changing marketing fundamentally, or it's just yet another innovation that we're facing as marketeers? I think it, it could be a bit of both. I think the fundamental changes, things like the death of third-party cookies is fundamentally changing the way advertisers are thinking about doing marketing. And that's forcing people to come up with new strategies, come up with new technologies, look at how they connect data sources better together, look at how they acquire new data sets, et cetera, et cetera. But it's the, the only constant in this industry is change. As many things are always changing. Um, and being able to, to cope with the change, I think, is the key. What do you think, Michael? I'd echo that. I don't think this is the first time the marketing industry is going through change. And I very much doubt it will be the last time either. In recent years, just look at ad blocking, media fragmentation. I think the important thing and the exciting thing is that there's an opportunity to find innovative ways to address some of the challenges that we're facing and actually work to actually have a, a marketing industry that supports measures that support the consumers with greater privacy, greater transparency, which I see is own, can only be a good thing. And I, I actually look quite forward to trying out some of the new technologies and the new concepts that are being worked on at this moment by brands, by advertisers, media partners, who that's quite excitingly are coming together to solve some of these challenges. Yeah, I think it's a bit of, it's, it's more of an innovation than a complete change, but I definitely think it's a better that will then operate in for both consumers and us as marketers and brands. So how do we find the balance between the right amount of data and the right amount of insights then? What would you say, Michael? I don't think there's any one absolute figure one person can give you, and it varies based on your particular industry and brand that you're on. But I go back to being really clear on your objective and purpose, having proportionality on the data that you're collecting, making sure that there's a really uh, clear and valuable exchange with the consumer. And then finally, I'd say transparency, being really clear with the consumer and your partners on how you're using data and what you're doing with it will then help you to establish actually how much data you collect and how much data you need in order to gain those insights and importantly, 
then take action off the back of it. I think that's great advice for our listeners at home. Bavesh, how do you think that our listeners at home can cut through the noise and get ready for the future of marketing? I think having a plan, having a clear strategy and direction. I don't think, as Michael says, you can replicate anybody else's, but I think it's quite, it's, it's fairly logical in terms of the, the things that need to be in place. I, I also think uh, brands need to scrutinize their current state in terms of what's working, what isn't, and, and be really honest about decisions that might have been made that aren't necessarily the right ones because it is all new spaces. So therefore, if they are collecting data that they don't need or they're not using, stop collecting it. If you're, if you've got data partnerships that are not working, do something about it because all of these things add cost and and time and effort um, that needs to be focused on the right things. I think don't try and do too much at once. These things are complicated and, and quite onerous across data technology and processing and operations. So do things in the right way, looking at value and impact and logical ordering, because certain things need to be in place before you can do certain other things. And I think you can't underestimate just the things around data quality and data governance and data cleanliness and all of those things, because the worst thing you could do is handle poor data, incomplete data, or duplicative data, because that's detrimental then to the consumer experience, which can be brand damaging. I definitely agree to that. Jordan, do you have any additional final thoughts? I really echo what Babesh has said there. I think the thinking of the consumer is is really important. Um, I think recognizing that it's a journey, there's no no one size fits all approach. Um, Making the right technology decisions, because all of this this data-driven marketing is underpinned by the right marketing technology. I'd like to take a moment to thank all today's guests, Jordan, Bavesh, and Michael. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. We'll see you soon.